We don't have a complete crystal ball, but I can tell you we are planning for face-to-face -face instruction in the fall, partly buoyed by the confidence that uh, you know, just the last four weeks in a row with COVID testing have come back with zero cases uh, of, of our resident students. And our students really do want, especially at a place like Malloy College, they value the on-campus experience. Hi everyone, I'm Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA and host of the Optimistic Outlook podcast. We're recording today's podcast on about the one year anniversary of the lockdown associated with the coronavirus pandemic. And we look back over this year and we think about all that we have witnessed, all that we've experienced. For so many people, this has been a year of devastation. But you know that we have a strong belief that at moments like this, at moments of disruption, it gives us a chance to stop and think about how things might be done differently. And so now on the brink of reopening, we're really going to bring forward some good discussions about people we're working with at Siemens in order to get things reopened. You know, our initial focus has been on serving the healthcare community, but also education because we know how important an in-person education can be. So in the next couple of episodes, we wanna introduce you to some of our partners, people we've been working with to bring new technologies to the table so that they can open up their facilities with confidence. Today's episode is particularly interesting. You'll hear from Dr. Lentini, president of Malloy College. You'll also hear from Fred James, who is responsible for our education systems at Siemens, and also from David Santo. He's an expert in the mechanical systems related to our indoor air quality. I know you're going to learn a lot from both of them, so listen in. Dr. Lentini, welcome to the podcast. And Fred and David, thank you both for joining us today. We're going to have a good discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Lentini, boy, we have had such an impact from this coronavirus, and we know that you play an absolutely vital role. The importance of your what you're doing at the college with the education of nurses, as well as now a growing business school, clearly you had some tough decisions to make. I'd love it if you could take us through your decision-making and, and how it was you came to approach the challenges of coronavirus. Yes, well, it has been quite a year. And uh, on top of that, I actually entered here at Malloy in June and as a new president, so uh, quite a year to, to be starting off. And uh, the transition in, thankfully, the team here at Malloy had been uh, working pretty hard at trying to come up with good strategies to mitigate the problem. But what had to happen first off was um, everyone was surprised by this around the country, including at Malloy, is to convert in-person teaching to completely online. Everyone did the best they could. People's attitudes stayed pretty positive given the challenges. But, uh, you know, every week as is still going on, the guidelines would change. You know, what can you do? What can't you do? The challenge for us uh, became, what can you do in person, if anything? So things like small labs, nursing labs. We, we're, we're big on nursing here. Almost 50% of our enrollment is nursing. And really, they need clinical training. They need small labs. So we really had to keep some pieces of these educational parts in person. But uh, it was an ongoing challenge. It still is trying to determine what's going to happen for next fall, for example, is what we're in the middle of now. 
But uh, going back uh, to, to specifically to your question, so the teaching methodology change and then trying to make sure people are safe. What about the residence halls? And uh, how do we manage that? And we were able through state guidelines here in New York uh, to have residence halls and we were able to have two to a room, but we had to have strict protocols for all these things. Uh, the good news is we had very low numbers of cases here on our campus. And um, partly I think it has to do with what we, what we did with our protocols, some of the facilities work we did, and uh, just making sure that everyone from faculty to staff to students knew those protocols and that we could stay with them. Well, it's clear that you've used sort of uh, several layers of protection for your students, but you truly became an early adopter in some air purification technology. What led you to that decision and, and how has that technology yeah. helped your students be confident in the health and safety of their location? Yes, so um, facilities issues, Malloy, Malloy's campus is, sm is small for the number of students we have. So we were very, very space constrained and we don't have, have a lot of extra open spaces, for example, to do six foot distancing, which was required. Um, and in the residence halls, a little different situation. People would have to distance outside their room, but of course in the room not. So when a couple of things came together to allow us to put in the air purification um, systems that Siemens offered. Um, we became aware of it and um, heard some of the st statistics around how it would, uh, you know, potentially stop the transmission of airborne um, germs, etc. And um, the challenge always for an institution like ours is, can we afford those kinds of technologies? How do we budget for such things? It so turned out that the town of Hempstead, Hempstead that we live in also got CARES Act funding that they needed to partner with uh, uh, universities and colleges and we were partnering with them. So through some collaboration, we were able to figure out a way to get these air purification systems into our buildings. And I have to say, um, well, I don't think, you know, um, you know, the science is there, I think, but uh, you know, we noticed again that we've had very few cases on our campus. So I'm sure it's in large part due to some of the technology upgrades. David, I'd love to turn to you now and get some input. I know you've been working with customers with all kinds of specific needs in buildings. I'd love to hear from you how the technology works and then how does this fit into our broader perspective uh, for technologies to help combat the coronavirus? Sure. Thanks very much, Barbara. You know, there's a lot of information out there about what facilities can do to combat coronavirus, and also just to create healthier buildings, right? So when this all began, we took a broad approach and we, we, we looked for ways to make this less overwhelming. A lot of the requirements that are out there don't fit every customer. It really depends on their infrastructure, what kind of HVAC systems they have. came up with something we call the Smart Air Quality Program, where we, we work through the process of explaining step-by-step -step what the technologies are and how they can be utilized. And there's really six main technologies that we look at. One is ionization, which Malloy College uh, utilized. Another is ultraviolet lights. We also look at uh, side stream air filters for volatile organic compounds. We have some advanced filtration solutions. There's precise system control for temperature, humidity, and ventilation. And then finally, we really talk quite a bit about good maintenance for your HVAC systems and your automation systems. So just a little more on two of the technologies, the, the ionization uh, that we put into Malloy College. Basically, we're putting hundreds of millions of ions down the ductwork, and through those ions, we're able to affect 
VOCs, uh, bacteria, pathogens. We're able to remove pollen, mold, mildew, those sorts of things. So it really uh, covers quite a wide range of indoor air quality issues. Uh, you know, my recommendation, we just start out by looking at maintaining the equipment you have. Most folks have a budget for that. They have uh, people that help them with that. You know, the next step is to look at your existing infrastructure and consider adding the appropriate technologies. And then finally, what we're seeing now is with customers who have equipment at the end of their useful life, it's time to really think about designing this in to the solutions that you have. Maybe use some federal funds, end up with healthier buildings uh, with at a reduced cost, with a reduced operating cost as well. Yeah. So what you're really telling us is that you're handling, stepping up the overall health of the building writ large, not just responding to coronavirus. This is an investment that can really help us be healthier well into the future. Thanks for the explanation. And I heard Dr. Lentini talk about the real concern about how would we pay for this. Fred, I know that, uh, for instance, with, with Malloy College, the CARES Act uh, was helpful in getting this started. I'd love to hear from you how people are going about ensuring they can fund these healthy projects. Sure, Barbara. Um, that is a great question. So I'm going to start by taking a step back. So last spring, if we recall, you know, the CARES Act was very timely. It delivered approximately $30 billion to higher education and to K-12. And at the time, the money was desperately needed uh, for PPE, for cleaning, for the conversion to distance learning. And if we, if we recall, you know, it was sudden and you know, the efforts to date were tremendous. And I can say that firsthand because my wife is a first grade teacher. But one thing that we've absolutely learned during this pandemic is that the best way for children to learn is in the classroom. And so as we moved into the fall, you know, there was some CARES money still available. And strategic thinkers like Dr. Lentini and Malloy College, you know, applied some of that remaining money, you know, toward improving infrastructure and delivering clean air. Now, as we move to your question, you know, fortunately, in December, Congress approved an additional $82 billion for education stabilization funding. And now the Biden administration is going to deliver an additional $165 billion for education. So that's nearly $250 billion for K-12 and higher ed. You know, the breakdown for those that are interested, it's roughly about $180 billion for K-12, and that's in the ESSER funding. And there's $62 billion in higher ed emergency relief funding. As David mentioned, we've learned a lot over the last year about this virus. And the fact is that its transmission is primarily airborne. So the federal funding eligible use language has importantly evolved and expanded and really clarified use consistent with CDC and also ASHRAE guidelines to emphasize indoor air quality and ventilation. So the revised eligible use language, and I'm actually going to read this because I think it's really important for people to understand, you know, how this money can be used. So a couple of excerpts, inspection, testing, maintenance, repair, replacement and upgrade projects to improve the indoor air quality in school facilities, including heating, ventilation and air conditioning systems, filtration, purification, and control systems. So when we think back to what David talked about, you know, having a toolbox to customize applications for customer-specific situations, this has been recognized by the federal government, and hence the new funding is specifically allocated to include those applications. 
So bottom line, Barbara, $250 billion is a lot of money. Um, but the estimates of the increased costs that have been incurred by education through the pandemic are multiples of that. So there remain many competing uses for those funds. Fred, it's clear the financing of these projects is absolutely vital. Um, I'm curious, what do you think places Siemens in such a unique position to support the financing? Well, well, Barbara, of course, as you know, Siemens is a long-term partner to education. Our 100-plus service offices support over 2,000 K-12 customers and approximately 800 higher education customers. And relationships here are really important. As David mentioned, there's a wide variety of solutions available. And so, you know, once we identify what the customer wants, we'll develop the federal funding eligible solution, you know, for the customer. We'll help them solicit that funding. And if that's not enough, we do offer, as you know, a variety of alternative financing solutions ranging from energy savings performance contracts to as a service solutions, which don't require any money up front from the customer. I'll come back to Dr. Lentini because one of the things that we really have been talking about a lot in this podcast series is the idea that moments of disruption really help us to get stronger, help us to prepare and make us more resilient for the future. I'd be curious to know if you've had that view, whether you believe what Malloy College has gone through is actually help making you stronger for the future. Well, Barbara, it's such a great question. Um, you know, we are, of course, in the middle now of looking for all the silver linings. And there are silver, silver linings. We've learned how to do some things better. We have faculty members, for example, who've told me they wouldn't have ever really wanted to teach an online class who said, you know what? We actually got more graduate students to participate or be in these classes who couldn't normally do it. Hmm, we're thinking about we might continue going that way. Um, so that's been a thing. Uh, other, other things about how to manage uh, our spaces safely. Um, we've noticed that career services, for example, by having online uh, appointments went up 250% in terms of the number of students accessing career services. Uh, mental health support just gone through the roof in terms of both the uh, services that we offer and the demand for it. And I think there's a comfort level that people found in uh, doing that uh, and making appointments and attending appointments uh, electronically. So I think those will continue. Those are just a few of the things. And again, I think in terms of facilities, air quality, those kinds of things, we've made our, we've made our facilities safer. And uh, so, you know, I, I know that everybody doesn't want to think about this, but this is one pandemic. We hope there aren't <laughs> more around the corner. But the fact that we've, you know, hopefully made our air quality better, for example, is one thing uh, will we'll protect us uh, when the next, uh, hope it doesn't happen, next thing comes around. <laughs> uh, but we can rest assured there will be a next thing. And not to mention, there will be a cold and flu season next right. year. Yeah. And I myself am looking forward to just that sense of confidence that, that we are going to be able to handle it. We'll actually be healthier when the next season rolls around. And in fact, that brings me back to David. What is it going to take for people to feel confident to get back in buildings? Well, Barbara, you know, when we set out to create this program, um, you know, we, we, we kind of stumbled on uh, measuring the quality of the air. You know, there's a lot of different elements of air that we, we can measure, but we're dealing with contaminants that are so small they cannot be seen. And so early on, we started looking at measuring fine particulate. 
These are particles that are less than one micron and they stay suspended in the air for 24, 48 hours. Along with them, uh, the virus or bacteria and other contaminants are suspended in the air as well. So we started by measuring those. We established baselines for our, our customers, both inside the building and outside the building. We compared inside particulate matter to outside particulate matter and the before and after a project. And that's really helped a lot to have people understand that they have made a significant difference. And by removing those fine particulates from the breathing zone, we truly are achieving cleaner, healthier buildings. Uh, in addition, We've also been able to monitor other IAQ measurements, things such as temperature, humidity, CO2, building differential pressure is something we've talked quite a bit about to make sure that you're not bringing in contaminants from outside, but rather processing them through the HVAC system. And then finally, ionization levels is something that some customers have spent uh, efforts to include in their measurements. So sharing those results, both the before and after uh, testing of the projects and some ongoing testing uh, has been very helpful in making people com comfortable that what we've done has resulted in a good outcome. Yeah, that's, you know, it's exciting to think about all we've learned just because we've had to deal with this, uh, this true crisis. And Fred, I'd love to hear your perspective on what we've learned and how this fits into the broader context of where you all are heading with your smart infrastructure. This is important, Barbara. Um, when you think about the state of education, it's advanced in many, many areas, you know, notably IT. When you think about the infrastructure, it's really regressed on average. In higher education, deferred maintenance backlogs have increased to now over $100 per gross square foot. And that's up over 35% over just the last decade. And then in K-12, you know, we've got antiquated systems, you know, poor lighting, um, aging ventilation systems, and, and we're wasting energy. And many mechanical and control systems, while they're invisible from sight, you know, that are barely functional, are not providing the types of learning environments that our children deserve. And furthermore, in the inner cities, you know, the situation is worse, and that's creating equality differences. Um, with 250 billion in new federal funding available to schools, we really have a unique opportunity to invest strategically in our infrastructure to improve our learning environments consistent with CDC and ASHRAE guidelines. There are a lot of competing uses, but at least in my opinion, the reality is that many of those competing uses, while important, are gonna deliver a short-term gain, but not necessarily a sustaining benefit. You know, COVID has made us keenly aware of the importance of healthy, secure, safe classrooms. This heightened priority will and absolutely should continue well past COVID. And furthermore, technology has evolved. New smart school solutions utilize digital technologies. They enable remote monitoring. You've got artificial intelligence-driven controls and optimization, as well as reduced energy and operating costs. So when you think about strategic investments and in upgrading our infrastructure to ensure these types of ideal learning environments, you know, we are in fact at a critical moment. We must carve out some of this federal money to reinvest in upgrading our classrooms, our schools and our campuses. And actually, I'm gonna just bring this back to Dr. Lentini to, to actually wrap all of this together because 
David has explained the technology to us. Fred has really built the business case for these investments. And if we're successful in implementing the kinds of changes we've been talking about today, Dr. Linting, I'd love to hear your view of where things go for education. How do you view uh, the potential of the future? Yes, well, you know, just a minute ago, we were talking about some silver lining. So I think the important thing is to carry forward what got better. So what things did we learn that we can continue to do better? For fall, and we're looking at this uh, a little bit of a distance out, so we don't have a complete crystal ball, but I can tell you we are planning for face-to-face instruction in the fall, partly buoyed by the confidence that, uh, you know, just the last four weeks in a row with COVID testing have come back with zero cases uh, of, of our resident students. So it's giving us confidence that we can plan the fall face-to-face, of course, uh, if things keep progressing like we think they will. And our students really do want, especially at a place like Malloy College, they value the on-campus experience. And we want to get back to that. Now, layering on top of that, some of the things we learned with online delivery and hybrid delivery, that might benefit adult ed- education, uh, students who are a little bit older have jobs and can do, uh, do learning that way. So I think, you know, crossing our fingers that fall will get us back to that face-to-face instruction that we all uh, value and that our students really want and uh, that we can blend in all the kinds of things that we've learned uh, through this pandemic and how we manage our facilities. Even my um, uh, student affairs VP learned how to do move-in better for for people to get in the residence halls to keep it safer and actually schedule better. Many, many things that we've learned uh, that we can look forward to. So again, um, crossing our fingers, we think fall will be face-to-face and uh, should we have to make changes, we're ready to do that now. You've shown the resilience that is so characteristic of true leaders in this pandemic. Dr. Lentini, thank you so much. And David and Fred, I know that you join me in thanking Dr. Lentini for being with us today. We are so proud to be your partners in this and we wish you all the best. Thanks so much, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Quite a lot to consider. In fact, I'm really struck by Dr. Lentini's comments there at the end. We're not going back to education as we once experienced it. Yes, we're going to have the chance to have in-person education, but we've actually learned a lot through the pandemic. What a year it's been. Here we've heard from Fred that we have new resources available to us, sources of funding that really give us the opportunity to invest and actually make these buildings healthier. And we've heard from David that the technology already exists. You know, we have the chance to build a future that is even better than what we had before. What a great opportunity. If you'd like to learn more about either the technologies we've talked about today or the sources of funding that Fred's been introducing, please visit our show notes. I look forward to our next episode of The Optimistic Outlook when we're gonna dig into the K through 12 education system. Talk to you then. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or to the Siemens YouTube channel. And for show notes and more, go to Siemens.com optimist.